The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 258 for Friday, April 30th, 2010. To the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. It is Friday afternoon. It is April 30th, and I'm Dave Hamilton. Mm. Hi, Dave Hamilton. I am John F. Braun. I'm in Fairfield, Connecticut, last I checked. Yeah, that's right. It looks like it. I can I can uh, see out your windows there. It is, uh, it is, uh, this is Mac Geek Gab Premium, actually, version uh, episode 258. And we have actually, John, we have a lot of cool stuff to go through. Is there anything, uh, is there anything you want to mention before we dive into these questions here? No, <laughs> no. All right. Okay. Well, were you hoping for something? No, no I, I just, nothing. you know, sometimes we have little, little, uh, tidbits from our lives that we share. This is our third show this week. You know, we had our special show yeah. 256 and then we did 257, which was a normal one with all the questions. And now here we are 258. <laughs> Uh, yeah. No, I had a fun day. I was out uh, for photographing. I told you I, I found some unexpected things. I, I like exploring the uh, open yeah. space around here and I take pictures and every now and then. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it, you'll see the pictures if you follow my pictures. But basically, I found oh, yeah, something. put a link to your uh, pictures in the show notes. I mean, I basically found <laughs> in the middle of the woods uh, technology that, that, that I didn't expect in, in one of the uh, supposed hiking areas in my area. So cool. Anyways, but you'll see the pictures. So anyways, uh, that's about it. And it's a beautiful spring day up here, uh, down here. And I think up there, Dave. Yep. We're looking to the looking for the 80s this weekend. All right, let's go. Let's go to Tracy here. Tracy says, I just bought my partner a brand new MacBook Pro, which she loves, but she's bummed out that she no longer has an enter key in the bottom row adjacent to the space bar. She really wants to turn the right side alt option key into an enter key. And I'm trying to figure out a way to do this without the total overkill, i.e. Keyboard Maestro, which is an awesome program, but she would never use any of its real functionality. So I'd rather not spend the 35 bucks. Suggestions? Elegant solutions? Thank you. All right. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I don't really have an answer here. I started looking in system preferences, keyboard shortcuts, and there's a lot of options there, but she can't map enter versus option. There's there's no there's nothing there. So. I think keyboard, you know, for me, it's keyboard maestro. But, John, I, I think you found uh, you might have found the magic answer. Well, one thing that occurs to me, even though it's not there, Dave. So we're talking about a MacBook Pro, I believe. right? Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, right. I'm looking at mine right now and you and I both have the same machine. And I do see that word enter on my return key. And I'm no, no. Ex- what she's what she's talking about is and you never had a MacBook Pro prior to this one. Uh, the original MacBook Pro actually had an enter key on the bottom row. Uh, and, and it was very handy. It was just a okay. small little, you know, it was like a normal, almost normal size key, like the same as any of your letters would be. But it was enter. And I actually found it really okay. handy it could, because return and enter sometimes are different things. But but uh, but even right. if they aren't, you know, it, it's handy to have it there. So, OK. And I think my tie book uh, probably had that. Yeah, maybe that, that maybe. Yeah. Um, so one thing I'm curious about is that I'm seeing this on my MacBook Pro. Is there a way to, to uh, through the function key or something like that, if that brings it up, even though it's not listed on the key, will that do it? So one thought, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it will. Um, but the other thing is I found, Dave, so there are a few things. So one, you're, you're going to bring one up that, uh, you know, comes in the OS, but I found a thing called double command. Now, this is something we've seen in the past. It, it's kind of weird in that it only seems to do specific mappings for like command and enter and stuff like that. And I couldn't see the exact mapping that we were looking for here, um, but it looks uh, like it is somewhat configurable. I think in the past we've kind of disregarded it because they, they didn't have their act together. I mean, it's an open source project, though, but they, it, ah. it, it did not seem to be... Um, yeah, it's doublecommand.sourceforge.net, and it didn't seem to be uh, maintained at the time we looked at it last, I think, Dave. But um, looking at it now, it's 64-bit. You know, uh, I went to their webpage. It's been updated fairly recently, so it should work fine with Snow Leopard. So, you know, give it a whirl. Yeah, that looks like uh, it, it looks like it'll it, it's got uh, does it have option key? I'm looking at the uh, at the options. For yeah, it. I see a bunch of them and it has enter an option and stuff like that. So, so I'm hoping that maybe not the default options, but maybe you can configure it to do what you want. But it seems that this is more specific to some of the more esoteric 
keys and how to remap them. Yeah. I think that the thought is also, if you go between Mac and windows, sometimes the, the, you know, the, the, the way the keys work. And I think that was the, uh, inspiration for this program cool. so that's one but then dave another of course you know just to remap in general uh well i mean we there were the two i discussed right keyboard maestro and then system preferences keyboard shortcuts is that okay. what you're talking about oh, you, so you, 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 you weren't paying shortcuts. attention when, when i said okay. that were you no of course not okay good no, i was researching the other thing oh all right well that's fine all right uh okay let's move uh let's move on to michael then this isn't this is an interesting question michael says Hey guys, now that I have my new 27-inch iMac with an i7 chip with 4 gigs of RAM, I was looking at using up the vacant slots uh, in uh, uh, the vacant RAM slots that I have. I've always heard that booting in 32-bit can only use a maximum of 4 gigs of RAM anyway, especially on Windows machines. But further reading shows how Mac OS X uses a special trick called PAE or physical address extension that can allow Mac OS 10 to access up to 32 gigs of RAM. Have you guys heard of this and is upgrading to more RAM worth it? Okay. So there's actually three questions here. Uh, yes, we've heard really? of it. Uh, and we'll talk and let's talk mm-hmm. about it. Uh, up, and, and, and the short answer is upgrading. If you put more than four gigs of RAM in your machine, it will mm-hmm. see it. Uh, the question of to whether or not it's worth it, we'll answer that uh, at the at the at the end of this little discussion here. But uh, but okay. yeah, so let's talk about this this PAE mode, right? F- physical mm-hmm. address extension. I, I I did some some research, and if Wikipedia is to be trusted, which of course it's not, uh, this <laughs> this uh, this has been supported since Mac OS ten uh, Tiger ten point four point four. Uh, and hit and it's been a feature of Intel processors going all the way back to at least 1995. And I think, you know, it was also supported by early Motorola processors, right? Or not early, but earlier. Um, uh, the only comment I'll make is that, uh, you know, in the past, the processors, I've worked on both Motorola and Intel, and they have different ways of dealing with this. And I guess uh, the core issue is, do you want to have... The, the normal register that you use for doing work be the same size as the address space of the processor. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But even back in the 6502, it wasn't really the case. So, um, 6502, just for reference, and since we had a blast from the past show earlier this week, uh, the 6502 is the chipset that was used in the Apple II series of computer. Right, and that had eight-bit registers, but it had a sixteen, you know, other, you know, other features that were sixteen-bit. So you're already you had this problem. I use this many bits for this, this many bits for that. But but I guess the um, in general, even Dave, you and I saw this again to go back to the past. But this is, I think, effectively how they're doing this. So they call it fancy names. But back when you and I had the computer, uh, the machine could only address, I believe, sixty-four K at once. Anything oh, right. beyond that, you had to do what they called page flipping, and I think these new methods are basically just taking that to a very sophisticated level where it's almost transparent. Um, oh, is, that, is that what it is? Um, well, at some level, it has to be. I mean, the thing is, it's sure. mapping, and, and here's where we get into some terminologies. You're mapping logical to physical, is that you may have physical space or logical space and and how to relate the two so that basically what what you're doing is basically fooling the processor or the OS into thinking there's more memory than there there should be. Okay. Uh, beyond what I'm going to say is the the inherent built-in way of the processor doing it. So normally a processor as was pointed out 32 bits means you can only see so 32 four gigs. bits of something. Right, 4 gigs of right. something, right. But, it, you know, it's not too hard either in software or hardware. And I've seen both where you can just put a little trick in there saying, all right, I'm going to trick you into thinking that you're seeing memory, you know, in this larger space. And, and the thing is, you, you actually are. So it's a, right. but it's a challenge. It's, it's kind of going beyond, I think, what the processor manufacturers intended. They're like, oh, gee, well, we only think we need this much address space. It's like, right. well, no, 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 yeah. <laughs> not anymore. So You're here's right. a trick, either in the chip itself or in the in the operating system that you know pulls us off. So uh, got it. A little kind of boring and maybe too geeky background, but it's a it, it, it's an interesting trend because you, I mean, right now I think Dave, we're we're talking 64 bit, right? We're all correct rah, rah, about 64 bit, correct. But the thing is, there's even even in our 64 bit processors, I believe there are some 128 bit or even beyond elements. So it's like I think that's right. Yeah. When do we get to that point, or do we need it? And I, we, mm. I remember we discussed that. Uh, so. Do we need it? I mean, you know, it, any time I ask the question, or, or or I catch myself even thinking, let alone saying, mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. we need? Do I need more? I remind myself that, first of all, my first computer didn't even have a hard drive. But 
The first computer that I had with a mm-hmm. hard drive was my SE30. I got it in 1989 right. and it had a 40 megabyte hard drive. And there was an option to get it with the 80 megabyte hard drive. And I thought, well, I'll mm-hmm. never, I'll never need that. Uh, obviously that goes without saying, I think the program mm-hmm. that we're using, one of the programs that we're using to, to, uh, to do our, our internet chat Skype uh, is larger than 40 megabytes all by itself. So, you know, mm-hmm. take that, take that for what it's worth. Um, but yeah, so, so yes, the, the short answer is you don't have to, you don't even have to care about physical address uh, extension, uh, but the, your Mac knows how to do it. Uh, the processor knows how to do it. And yes, if you put more than four gigs of Ram in, even if you're booted to a 32 bit kernel, you will be able to see them. Uh, the question is to whether or not it's worth it. Yes. Uh, it, t- it, and, uh, and I think I'm, I have my window open and my kids are getting home, so we're going to hear them <laughs> walk by. Um, but you know, whether or not it's worth it, it depends. Take a look. If you've got four gigs in there now run, you know, uh, I mean, you can do it with activity monitor, but you can also check out, you know, something like menu meters or iStat menus and see how much Ram is free, not inactive and free, but see how much Ram is free at any given point in time. And if you're running up against the limits of that, uh, you know, then, then yes, you do need more than four gigs of Ram. If you're not, then no, you don't. So, uh, so that's, that's my, that's my short answer. And another benchmark to check again with activity monitor or, uh, any of the aforementioned tools is how mm-hmm. much swap space you're using, you know, on, on this right. machine right now, I've only got three gigs of Ram, but I'm only using 15 megabytes of swap space, which tells me that I'm not running up against the limits of the RAM that I have in this machine. Right. So yeah, good point. Now, but, my feedback is that on the MacBook Pro, when I went from four to six, which is not officially, you know, we're being kind of bad here. And I think, did you, did you change? Your no, name? I got to do that though. Yeah, you do. Because, you know, to me, it was a world of difference. I'm making a Because I, I think, oh, uh, excellent. Because I think OS 10, Two gigs is the bare minimum. Yeah, I Four agree with gigs that. if you're running more than one or two apps. And then my, my experience, because I typically, and you know, I, I, I don't follow our advice all the time, Dave, which I don't what? always shut down oh. my apps when I'm done using them. I may, I may leave iPhoto or Word or Yikes. whatever open. And the thing is, the more apps open, the more memory is, is potentially required. Now, sometimes yeah. it'll, you know, swap or do the swap magic, but... Uh, I found that on the MacBook Pro, where I typically am running five, six apps at once, six gigs and four gigs was like a world of difference. And I think the other stat you want to look at, Dave, is, um, you know, depending on the utility you use, but the, uh, if you didn't mention this, but the page outs, once you start doing page outs, well, that's, that that's and, and swap, yeah, page outs are certainly related. A, a, a measure, right, because swap doesn't happen without them. But I always just look at the, ma- the, the amount of swap I'm using. Uh, and that's the, uh, that's the magic. Is that the red phone? Uh, it is, <laughs> but I can, I can let it go. It's fine. It's okay. Fine. Yeah. Sounds like your people took care of it. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it's been taken care of. But between two, and and I was shocked, Dave, is the other day, once I did do this, now the thing is every now and then I would reach the maximum amount of Ram, but I've never seen this before in extended usage, but I would notice the number of swap files would decrease. Which I got to say, I've never seen that before when I had four gigs. When I got six gigs, I started seeing that figure not only go up, which is typically my warning sign that it's time to reboot soon. Right. But I've seen it go down. And I think just having the, the breathing room, I, I think that's what, why I finally saw that. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So, so you got a uh, you just bought a four gig module from from uh, from somebody. Is that, that what you did? Well, yeah, well, you know, OWC. Well, they had the report, you know, and and they had the best price at the time. But uh, yeah. What'd you pay for it? Do you remember? Ballpark? Uh, About 120. Wow. They're showing 185 right now. Hey. Hey. Yeah, you got to move. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) No, I did. Apparently they got a a good price. But yeah, yeah, it it sees it. You know, I popped the other chip. Uh, Actually, I should put that on eBay or something. Anybody wants a two gig chip that, that works in uh <laughs> actually I might take that from you. I gotta okay. I gotta look, but uh but I I might want it for my one of my iMics. Ah. So sweet. Yeah. All right. Uh but you know, we're not here just to chit chat about it. I guess we kinda are here to chit chat about that. <laughs> but we're also here to talk about uh, uh are we done with uh I think so. Ram? I think so. Yeah. That was a that was okay. good. A valuable discussion. Have, and then we have a tale of woe from Dennis. I we think. do. Yeah, Dennis wrote. Uh 
I dug out my 1998 iMac G3 from deep in the closet, and it will not boot. I simply get the finder with a flashing question mark, or not really a finder, it's just the Mac screen with a flashing question mark. I've tried booting from CD, both Mac OS 9 and Mac OS 10, a backup drive, resetting the PRAM, no luck. Any ideas? So far, everything I've read says just boot from the CD, but in my case, that's not working. Uh, so I have one idea, John. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've seen this, and I haven't seen it with that model iMac, but I've seen it with later model iMac with my um, uh, my old flat screen Intel iMac, that when the PRAM battery or the CMOS battery, whatever you want to call that battery inside the computer died, it acted just like this. I could not get it to do anything other than uh, than basically what he's describing here. So the fact that it's been sitting in his closet for a long time and hasn't been in use, uh, chances are, you know, the battery at some point along the line died. Uh, ass- assuming that machine has a battery in it, and I'm pretty sure it does. Um, I'm that pretty one, sure. So. If it's the one that I worked on, Dave. Yep. Which, if you want to hand it off here. Yep. So I worked on one of these. I had actually a, a former, uh, yeah, a former client that lived down the street and had one of these machines. And her problem was that, yeah, she would turn the thing on and it would flash the question mark. I'm like, oh, man. Well, there were two problems. Number one, the power switch on this particular, and, and I remember this machine because this is the first one that had people shaking their fists about the floppy drive, right? Sure. Where was a floppy drive on the Mac? And I, I right, believe actually right. that machine did have a connector on the motherboard. Oh, uh, I'm pretty sure it did, but they didn't yeah. offer it. So you could hack it to do okay. floppy. But, you know, the time of the floppy, you know, has come and gone. Right. Anyways. So but but what I eventually found. So number one, this this machine had a problem with the power button sticking. So that was the one piece of service that I had to do was actually take it out, clean it out, resolder the wires, stuff like that. Because the, the, it, it was intermittent. So that was her one problem. The other one is once I booted it. Yeah, it would show the smiley disk and a flashing question mark. It's like, oh, now what? Um, on that model machine, at least, I remember the way I figured out what the problem was, um, was if you hold down, I believe it's alter option on pretty much any Mac and even that one. Uh, maybe it was a different key, but here's the suggestion, you know, try a few different ones. Of course, sure. you have to plug in the keyboard. Um, one of them will bring up a menu where, where it's uh, the, the Mac is basically saying, all right, here's all the things I see. Which one should I boot from? It kind of skips because the thing is, by default, what the Mac does is whatever it was in your uh, startup items. Uh, I think that's the what it's called. Yep. Or startup disk. Whatever yep. startup right, disk right. is, if it's defined, it'll try that. If it's not defined, then usually I think most Macs still default to netboot, which is you know a kind of cool thing where you go on a network and you say, hey, is there any bootable device? I, I don't know any of the details of this, Dave. I just know it's called Netboot. Okay. I've seen it demoed at Macworld. But the thing is, first, it's going to try to crawl the network and say, hey, is anybody out here willing to boot me? The thing is, a lot of times that takes a real long time from what I've seen. And actually, this machine, I mean, it would sit there for minutes just saying, anybody out there? Anybody out there? It's like, no, no. Let's hold down option, put in the CD and the thing is, by holding down option, you force the machine to look at all the bootable devices before it offers one and not get stupid and just say, hey, I'm going to look on the network. And that's how it, it worked out. It actually Got did it. see the CD then and was able to boot from it. So that machine, I think, had a flaw in that it spent way too much time trying desperately to boot from something that was never going to be available. Right, right, right. Huh. That's interesting. Interesting, interesting. All right. Yeah, so hopefully hopefully that heads you down, uh, heads you down a path there. Dennis, that uh, that helps out. All right, uh, what are, what are we moving on to? Rick, let me see if I can find Rick's audio here, and we can do this the right way. Dave, John, and Pete, this is Rick from New York State. Uh, for my third year as a uh, switcher, I thought that I would try to contribute something. I've been listening to you for a long time, and I want to thank you all for uh, for helping me through the uh, switching thing. And uh, unfortunately, every time I have a question within a show or two, you seem to answer it. But That's a uh, good thing. Here I am um, just catching up at the end of uh, March, and uh, you were talking a few shows ago about uh, DNS and blocking, and I do have a question. I have a, a teenager who I need to keep off Facebook every once in a while, and... Um, 
what she's found is that if she goes into Google and uh, Google's Facebook, she can get on this site through one of the other countries. And uh, even with parental controls, that doesn't seem to block it. So I was wondering if there was any way uh, using DNS to, uh, to block her out. And um, even if it's possible to do it uh, during different times of the day. Uh, the other thing is, is that uh, you were having your little aviation uh, geek a uh, little while ago. And uh, you, Dave, you had said something about, uh, you were talking about aircraft performance. And I think the term you were looking for was coffin corners. Uh, that has to do with how the manufacturers use, um, graph the data for altitude versus airspeed and as you get up towards the uh, service ceiling of the aircraft it uh, it forms two uh, kind of angles well they're obtuse angles so i guess i could say that since this is a geek geek cab it is and um if you go a little bit too slow the uh the airflow over the wing stalls out and if you go a little bit too fast it uh, does what's called a, a mock tuck, and the aircraft will uh, go down in, in either uh, case. So uh, Pilot Pete could probably explain it a little bit better to you, but um, thanks for all you do, and hope you have an answer for me. And you can cut me off in three, two, one. Awesome. Thanks, Rick. Uh, thanks for the uh, the coffin corner thing there. Yeah, that, that's a fun little diversion. All right. Uh, as far as domain blocking, the the... The open DNS will do this. Uh, in, in fact, it's it's built for it. So what what you want to do is sign up with a free account at opendns.com. And then you point your presumably you've got all your computers connected to one router and they're getting their IP address and network information from that router. Assuming that they are. Uh, all you need to do is go to your router and open DNS even has instructions for this. But you go to your router and you set all of the DNS entries on the router itself to open DNS, you're changing them from what you're getting as the default from your internet service provider and changing those to open DNS. And then you can go in and uh, you run a little client on one of your Macs to keep open DNS apprised of your current IP address. And then by IP address, open DNS knows whether or not to filter you. And you can set uh, at their website exactly what you want to filter. You can pick categories or you can pick specific domains. So yeah, that should do it for you. Uh, what OpenDNS won't do is it doesn't have a time of day based uh, filtering or enable or disable, uh, you know, a homework hours kind of thing uh, doesn't exist at OpenDNS proper. But if you buy uh, there is one router out that that is uh, built to integrate with OpenDNS and it's really just a software thing. So presumably other routers could do this uh, very easily. But uh, the. Netgear WNR2000, which is a wireless uh, 802.11n router, will integrate with with OpenDNS and it supports uh, the homework hours, you know, time based blocking things. So so that's that's one option uh, that I saw and I, I didn't have time to check it out, but I did see another website that that'll do something or another piece of software. And it is available for the Mac called K9WebProtection.com. It's uh, the letter K, the number nine, and then webprotection.com. And they have a Mac uh, piece of Mac software, but uh, but didn't have an opportunity to check it out. Lastly, if you are running a Linksys router and, and others that support uh, the firmware I'm always talking about, which is called DD-WRT, you can you can do this. Uh, it's a little it's not a little geeky. It's a lot geeky getting it installed on your router. And then the configuration of it is non-trivial, but it's not too bad. You go to the access uh, restri access restrictions tab and you go in and, and you can set time based access. You can actually limit uh, you can set up profiles for each computer in your house if you want. So you've got, you know, you're totally you could have your computer accessing Facebook, but another computer not accessing Facebook. And you can turn it all on and off uh, at different times of day. So those those are my three uh, technological solutions. One thing I will point out with any of these, although, uh, well, although they, they, the DD work thing is is limiting by MAC address or IP address, depending on how you do it. So that that's pretty much that's going to do it. Uh, but if you're using OpenDNS, uh, you want to make sure that the that the uh, kids or the person you're trying to block does not have administrative access on their machine. If they do. They can go into system preferences, into the network, and change or add a DNS server. So if you're, all you're doing is DNS blocking, which is what OpenDNS does, if they try to look up Facebook, 
it doesn't resolve that name. It resolves it to something else and says you're blocked from seeing this. But uh, but if they can set another DNS server in their um, in, in their system preferences, then they'll totally bypass open DNS. It'll you know, it, 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 it's just hmm. not part of the, the solution. So you've got to make sure they don't have administrator access on the machine. Otherwise, they will find a way to uh, to get around it. So, yeah, well, I like the option. So what you do is you create a managed account, which is a standard account with parental controls. And then in the content tab, you can go to website restrictions and say, allow access to only these websites. Oh, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> what I'm suggesting is you, you, you know, you put your foot down and you say, listen, kids, but these are the only sites that I'm going to permit you to go to because, you know, I'm, you know, uh, armchair parent here. And I think that's the <laughs> best way, which is just to enforce, you know, um, you know, unfo- uh, you know, unfocused discipline, you know, and strict rules for no reason. Um, I think that's the way to do it. <laughs> it's, it's the right way to parent, huh, John? All right. Well, hey, you know, to be serious. Yes, I know people like you, you, Dave and others that have kids and all that. And and, and I think the, the, the social thing we were going to get into is, it, you know, it's it. The technology is easy. But the thing is, if the kids are really, uh, I think, in my humble opinion, Remembering when I was a kid, and I think Dave, you remember when you were a kid. I if do. a kid wants to get to something, they will figure if if they're you know energized enough, they will figure a way to get around these lame technolo- technological uh, restrictions. So, to me, it yes. is, uh, it's 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 certainly a tool to help discourage bad behavior, but it has to be associated with. Well, here's why. Right. I'm doing this. Oh, and, and I, again, that that I agree with 100 percent. I also I think it is different now than when you and I were kids. I mean, first of all, our parents, for us, it was it was it was like the Wild West. And I think it, some parts of the Internet still are like that. You sure. just stumble across something that. Whoa. Right. Right. <laughs> well, you know, but here's the thing. Uh, first of all, our parents and my dad was an engineer. I mean, he understood computers, but he really had. Only a very cursory knowledge of of that which I was doing on the computer, right? I mean, it, oh, mine had almost no clue unless I offered it. Right? Oh, yeah. check out what I can get. Yeah, at. pretty much that was that was how it was in my house too. So, uh, first of all, our parents really didn't know what it was we could get into to begin with, let alone uh, you know the, the the you know what it, what it was we were doing. So uh, that that's different now, right? I certainly know. Uh, maybe I don't know everything my kids can get into, but I certainly know far more than my parents knew about, m- about me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Number two is there's far more for my kids to get into than there was back then. Right. Uh, you know, it's a whole different world. And uh, and so, you know, I think I think putting some technological uh, barriers in place is is good, if only to stop inadvertent activity or uh, a reminder that the activity that you're about to try and, and figure out how to do is something that we as as parent and child have discussed as off limits. Right. You know, it doesn't help. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hurt to have, again, either either a, uh, you know, a barrier as a reminder or as a as a fail safe. However, I agree with you. You know, for the first thing that has to happen is the conversation of you, you shouldn't be doing this in the first place. <laughs> right. You know, and, and now we'll put some things in place that remind you, ah, yes, you know, help guide you down the right path. And that's a good thing. So mm. uh, that's my feeling anyway. Pretty much. And I've seen, um, you know, we, we're not the max social gap, but I've seen even some school districts and other, you know, workplaces will limit certain social media things, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah. Good, I was, I was at the or... high school last night. Um, they, they had a mm-hmm. donkey ball match, uh, which is, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was what, a blast. What? Uh, is this in New Hampshire? Thing? Yeah. yeah I, I don't know where they came I, from. I don't remember donkey ball in these parts. I'd never heard of it before, John. This is, okay. yeah, right. this is, this is something that, uh, but anyway, uh, they, they have a Wi-Fi network. They have two Wi-Fi networks at the school, one that's secured and then one that's, you know, for guests. And so I put my iPhone on the, the network and I was able to get email, but I was unable to uh, post anything to Twitter. So I had to disable the network. Mm. And I even tried VPNing into my house. And then I was going to post that way to kind of obscure mm. my traffic. Wouldn't let me VPN either, which I thought was pretty darn sneaky. I'm sure Skype would have worked. You know how Skype is. Mm-hmm. 
all right. So we're back on, uh, are we back on track here? How are we doing on time? We? we got a lot to, uh, we got a lot we can go mm-hmm. through. We can, uh, we can do whatever we want here. Okay. Uh, Steph- yeah, Steph- Stefan. Um, yeah. all right. Yeah. All right. Let's pull this up. Uh, in the last show, we talked about uh, permissions in your home directory and and how you may not realize that some things are accessible to the outside world when uh, not the outside world, but other users on that machine uh, and some things are blocked from them. And we had suggested that uh, that you one of the reasons that your home directory itself, though not necessarily the contents thereof, but your home directory itself is readable to other computers or other users on that same computer because uh, you have your public folder and your sites folder. So uh, Stefan mm-hmm. had a, a comment about that and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Hey, John and Dave, this is Stefan from Hamburg, Germany. I'd like to comment on the uh, Unix uh, permissions issues and spotlight. Dave stated in the last show that the home directory uh, has to be uh, readable only to access the public and sites folders. If I remember correctly from my old Linux days, uh, it is uh, sufficient to have only the executable flag set for all users um, in order to be able to access the public folder. Yeah. Bye and have a nice day. Uh, thank you, Stefan. Yeah. Uh, you are right in that if all you're trying to do is get directly to that folder, the parent folder does not have to be readable. Now, you have to know the path, you have to know the name, and you have to be doing it either from the command line or using the finder's uh, go go to folder menu item, right? Uh, but if you want to navigate there by clicking on your hard drive and then users and then a username and then public, uh, at that point, yes, you do have to have – the finder will not navigate – uh, to the users folder without that being readable. So that, that was, uh, that was kind of my, my thinking on it, but you're absolutely right, Stefan. That's that, you know, if you want to get there, you can get there. Even if the parent folder is not world readable. Huh? Well, I like his point about the executable flag, Dave, because this gets into the, the nuts and bolts of, well, what do all those bits mean when you're doing a CH mod and stuff like that? And I think they are. <laughs> I think read- if you're doing a CH mod, people probably know what they're doing, but maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not. Well, no, I thought it spit it out, but uh, I think the order of the flags from least to most, I think, is read, write, and execute. Is that is that right? Um, most to least, because if if you do what what John's talking about is a, a very old Unix command called uh, chmod, chmod, and you use it to set the permissions on files or or folders or items uh, from the command line, and uh, I believe. So I, I believe, and I did it. I did this earlier today, so I know at least some of it. Um, it if you have, if you do a ch mod of one one one, that makes the file user like owner group mm-hmm. and world executable and nothing else. Uh, and oh, then and right. the the one is definitely executable. I I believe if you make it uh, three three three. Uh, then it's, mm-hmm. and I, I'm, 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 I don't know. I gotta, I gotta, mm-hmm. I gotta look it up. Yeah, I think it is. 333 would make it world, uh, read user group and world read and execute. And then six, I don't know. No, no, mm-hmm. it might be, might be four. The first three are readable. The second three are writable. And then one, to make it seven because seven, seven, seven is world read, write and execute. So it's three for read, three for write yeah. and one for uh, execute. So, yep. yes. So there you go. And, and, the, and the way the numbers work is three, three, three. It's user owner rather group and execute. So if you wanted to make it owner, read, write, execute, and then uh, world group and world uh, execute only it's seven, one, one. And that that'll, that'll give you that. Yeah, nice work. Well, you know, <laughs> try. <laughs> yeah, it gets a little crazy. I, I always, you know, I here's what I do uh, is I do ch mod space. I don't do I don't use numbers because I because I because of that I have to sit and think. If I want to do mm-hmm. you know uh, 
uh, owner or, or whatever. I just do, I, I usually mm-hmm. I do a plus X and that'll give everybody the executable bit and it's yeah. good to go. So yeah, I can uh, read a few articles. So yeah, we're digging into some, you know, esoteric <clears throat> or maybe not. So of why the CH mod and the other bits are the way they are. Yeah. You know, user group world, all that good stuff. Yeah. Everyone. Right. Yeah. Or everyone, which we've seen, yeah, may bite you if you don't know about everyone. That's right. <laughs> All right, so now should we get esoteric in a different way? Mm-hmm. Ready? Excuse me. Yes. Okay. Hi, John and Dave. I love your show. been a long-time listener. But now I have a problem, and I need your help. In 1994, I bought an HP LaserJet 5MP printer, uh, which I just love. And years later, when I got an iMac 20-inch G5, I had to buy an Asante uh, Ethernet cable bridge because Apple had abandoned the 9-pin DIN uh, cable. So the uh, now I have a 27-inch i5 iMac, and both HP and Apple say that I can print to the 5MP, but Apple Talk has been discontinued with this model. So the, uh, I'm obviously getting nothing when I print, but since they both say that I can print to it, how do I do it? I assume I have to buy some kind of a bridge, uh, but I don't know what it is. So if you could possibly tell me, I'd be very pleased. Uh, here's where you cut me off. All right. And we shall. So, uh, you know, I, I, I had an answer already yeah. for this, John, but but yeah. but of course, because Apple Talks discontinued yeah. and won't work. You know, I, I have one of those old Asante Ether bridge things that bridges Ethernet to local talk, but I don't think that'll work. Right. Because it's not it's not there. I don't think it will. Yeah. No. Yeah. You and I were talking about some devices we had in the past. I, I actually still have is- them. I found them the other night when I was hunting for oh. that acoustic coupler. <laughs> <laughs> But um, so this is a LaserJet 5MP, and mm-hmm. as pointed out, we will go over it again. It has IRDA, which is infrared. That I couldn't find an adapter for um, on the Mac. There, there may be one out there. Actually, if anybody knows about an IRDA, which is infrared data, something, uh, whatever. Basically, it's a, and you've seen this, you know, if you had a palm or something like that, it's infrared. It's a, it's an LED, uh, or it's like the ones that you have in your remote control. So that's number one. Um, that I couldn't find anything for. And number two, of course, local talk, as they pointed out, and the, you know, uh, that's the old uh, high-speed serial that App- Apple actually kind of pioneered, and it was actually very nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really cool, actually, because you could string computers age, together. Yeah, before and basically, yeah, you had a connect. It was basically plugged into the Mac, and then you would have a connector with two ports, and it basically daisy chained. So basically, you you would plug two other computers into this connector, and as uh, now the only downside is if anybody in the chain, you know, tripped over a cable or something, then that part of the network was was disappeared. Yeah, but it was you pretty know. robust about it. I mean, it didn't blow away the rest of the network. It was just oh, no, that no. part of it. Yeah, but still, it was a fault. You know, versus a hub or a switch or something oh, or a much switch. different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then the third option. So here, and uh, I think uh, Joe has written back that I think he's uh, looking into this. Um, I don't know if he was successful, but the third option is parallel. Well, you know, parallel. The problem is parallel is not serial max for the most part use serial interfaces whether it be 232 or 422 or whatever or local talk or apple talk you know it's all kind of serial based the uh, the the mac never um really grokked the whole parallel interface which was very popular on the pc what i did find though which i think is the best solution that i can offer uh someone makes a usb to parallel cable and it offers a mac adapter uh, or driver, so we'll see how good that's written. But it was like nine bucks, so you know, oh. to me, now I gotta say, this guy. I mean, I thought I was hardcore, and I think actually he worked on the firmware on my printer. <laughs> but wow. um, I think he wrote me that. But uh, he, he a LaserJet Five MP, Dave, is an old, 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 old. I mean, I thought yeah. my laser printer was old. The you know the GCC twelve hundred. You still this have is that older. Thing? Well, it has an Ethernet port. See, I, I was know. thinking ahead. Now, I think it has a probably 10 megabit Ethernet port, not a Who cares? you know 100 or gigabit, but still, it's fast enough for my black and white printing. So, yeah, yeah I still, and I, I haven't even used the first uh, toner cartridge, which these people, obviously, I can see why they almost went out of business was because they, 
products last way too long. Right. I mean, look, I've done nothing to this thing for 10 years and it's still printing on, on number 10 paper. So that's crazy. That's, that's why I got the Ethernet because I think they did offer. They're like, okay, would you want a local talk interface or a, yeah. this or that? And I'm like, you know, I think I'll get the the brand spanking new Ethernet, which was you know kind of unusual back then. I think it was actually a special uh, circuit board that I had to uh, screw into the printer because it was so so brand new. Sure, you know, it had a, it has a you know it's still. I mean, it's actually pretty advanced. I mean, it's slow, but it has a web server interface. You can really? basically change anything on the yeah. This actually, is, you know, I remember when they came out. I remember reading about those in Mac Week uh, mm-hmm. when they came out and being really really excited about the uh, you know about. The, the possibility of it. I, I, I lusted after it. Actually, that was one of those things when you bought it, it was like, Oh, he got one of those. Hmm. I should get one. Well, I, I remember did. my old workplace. What I did one time is right now. Remember this tool called Satan? No, it, Wait, it was one wanna, of these that's a security tool, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, it was one of these okay. tools. And I, I still remember, you know, in the workplace when they started rolling out TCP IP, I would run this and actually I would have devices come up and I'm like, Oh, what is that? And some of the devices I found were, I think it was Tektronic. Okay. But it was laser printers that all of a sudden had port 80 exposed because they had a web server where you could come to them and say, hi, how's it going? You know, what's your status? No, it was very cool when when they finally introduced that. So yeah, it's still running. Uh, Again, I hope I can still get a toner cartridge. Oh, if yeah. and when I run out. Well, you know, (laughs) let's put it this way. That printer doesn't owe you anything, right? No, no, no. (laughs) It might not be worth the investment in the toner cartridge. no. No. Uh, although, you know, some places have them pretty cheap. So, all right, let's, uh, let's hear from Sandro. What do you think, John? Yeah. All right. Yes. Hi guys. Sandro here from the, my photo tech podcast. Uh, you guys talk a lot about, especially John, the, um, iStat menus and the, uh, temperature sensors, uh, for the Mac. Uh, I also use uh, iStat menus as well as the iStat Pro, which is the, the widget. I have a question on these temperatures. Uh, where exactly, where can I find a good reference, or maybe you guys know already, what are the temperatures that we should expect here to be within normal range. I, for example, right now I'm ripping a DVD using Handbrake. It's been going on for a while, and I'm on a MacBook Pro uh, generation before this one. And um, my um, Handbrake is, is pegging the, the processors here at about 195%. Uh, on the average, and of course the fans are running. And the temperature here, the highest reading for the CPU is 196 degrees. The heat sink's 155, the GPU's 148. And um, so what kind, is that within range or or what? The the fans are running at 6204, both of them, uh, 6204 RPM. All right. Yeah, I'd really like to know that. uh, You know, I look at these temperatures and... I say, well, that's cool. What does it mean? <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right, Sandra. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe it's not cool. Maybe it's hot. <laughs> uh, John. Uh. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, John, you uh, you looked up some some specs on this, right? I did. I think you did. Yes. No, I did. So the thing is, um, in general, if uh, we, as you notice, I, I, I would say just the general guidelines. So, so what I've seen on the on the at least the MacBooks that I've run, um, once you start getting in the low one hundreds, um, but that's about normal. As as you start climbing towards two hundred degrees Fahrenheit, and remember we're American, so we do things stupid, which is Fahrenheit. Because I'm finding all the utilities, <laughs> or at least the resources I found. Well, well, they measure it in both, but still, it's kind of annoying. Um, and as you start climbing in like 150 or whatever range, your fans probably should be going on. Uh, I have never seen a device come in at over 200 degrees Fahrenheit. So, um, But I did find a site, Dave, called www.intelmactemp.com slash list. Uh, we'll link to it, of course. But it lists uh, temperatures... Uh, by default in Celsius or centigrade, 
Uh, but you can go to degrees Fahrenheit and see the attempts for all sorts of systems. And there are submissions dating back from 2006 all the way to the current day. They, they default to showing the oldest first. So, um, you know, you may have to jump ahead, but that's a place I would look. And then maybe just, you know, I, I've gotten a feel and you probably have too, Dave. I mean, my feel is, you know, if I see like right now I'm looking over my MacBook and it's 140. Okay. That that's about right. And I think the fans are running, but you know, that in the 100, low 100 something range to me is at least in a portable, uh, our class, what, what I would expect. So yeah, it, yeah, the fan, the fan speed is interesting. I think uh, on my iMac, I see it. I, I they, the fans are always spinning, uh, even in our portable machines. Uh, they right about two thousand. Right? Two thousand is the is the bottom default speed, and then they will speed up as the temperature heats up. Uh, and on my iMac, it's uh, twelve hundred, I think, and it's the same the same deal. It'll speed up now. Uh, the new iStat menus, which is iStat menus three, they Bajango, which is the company that makes it, uh, decided that uh, the only way they were going to be able to continue to make it was to oh. charge for it. Yeah, well, it's ten bucks or nineteen bucks if you want a license for five computers. So it's, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, huh. They're not they're not paying us to say that, but and we've been talking about this for so long. It's it's worth letting you all know. I dig it. Uh, it's it's an application now instead of a pref pane, but it's the, the menus still work the same. Um, one cool thing that they've added in, in version three, they've added a couple cool things. And one relates to this is that you can actually set different profiles for your system fans. So if you know, say you're going to be doing some handbrake, you know, conversions or whatever, and, and you just want to let the fans run hotter or run faster to, to keep the temperature down, uh, you can do that. And you can set right now, you know, the default set yeah. is whatever the Mac, uh, whatever your Mac's set to. And then they've got a medium set that's built in uh, that'll that I think. And that may be different for for each computer. But on mine, uh, I'm trying to see if, if I can even look at what that medium set huh. is. Yeah. But the, for, yeah, for me, the medium set is, uh, you know, uh, 2350. So it is different for each computer It's 2350. And, and you can have uh, different rules depending on what the default is, what happens when you're on battery power versus when you're not. And then also what happens when you're charging. So you can, you know, you can set some things up depending on your environment that uh, that work for you and keep your temperatures huh. lower, um, you know, almost, almost artificially. Right. Because you're you're doing more than Apple figures you needed. But, uh, yeah. but you know, that's what these geeky tools are for. So, well, you know, I'm interested because, I mean, you have a combination of variables here. I think it's kind of cool. So you have. Um, how much power are you drawing at a certain temperature, which as the temperature goes up, I guess you would be drawing relatively more power sure. versus the power to the fans to cool the processor. Right. And is the power required to cool it worth, you know, spending the extra power on cooling versus just letting it run hotter. And then you got the heat sinks and huh, anyways, I'm, I'm going to stop. Yeah. Uh, know, that's obviously these guys are offering the option of you. Uh, I mean, uh, but I think I'm with you. You know, if you're running something, you know, is going to be cranking on the processor. Maybe you just want to run the fans at 6,000 or whatever the maximum of the fans are. I, right. I've noticed mine. Actually, I can hear that when, when the fans in my MacBook pro get towards maximum, um, Sounds I like take rattle. Off. Well, I hear them rattle a little bit, oh. and then I don't know if a bearing's gone or something. We'll, oh, that's not we'll good. See. That's what Apple cares for, man. Yes, sir. <laughs> but no, it's. I mean, it still runs day to day. I mean, it runs. You know, uh, rarely do I get it where it's it's blasting the fans full full speed. Yeah, yeah. I you know I don't even have I I, I do a lot of handbrake conversions on the dual core iMac over hmm. at the house, and and so that runs the the CPUs at one hundred percent, and hmm. I don't. I don't have the I don't notice the fans going that fast. It, you know, it might they might double speed up to, you know, 2500 RPM or something, but nothing, nothing faster than that. So. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to talk about uh, kind of uh, uh, what am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. I want to I, I want to spread more love about iStat menus. One thing they another thing rather that they added in this version three, which I I didn't even notice at first. And then I stumbled mm. onto it is they added a new battery widget and this battery widget, you can use it to replace. You can just turn off the energy saver one on your portable and, uh -huh. and have this one come. And it's got some cool things. First of all, of course you can customize it every which way from Sunday. Cause that's what iStat menus does. Some mm. of those customizations though, 
is you can have uh, you can have it look different depending on whether you're charging, whether it's fully charged or whether it's draining. Right. So mm-hmm. you can, you know, if, if it's fully charged, you may not even want to see the time up there. You might, you know, you might only need to see one little thing. It doesn't matter. You know, I don't need mm-hmm. to see an icon of a full battery and a hundred percent. I mean, I don't need, you know, fine. So you can do that. Uh, you can change the menu bar icon to red as it uh, hits a lower, you know, a lower number. Uh, you know, you pick uh, maybe a 10 percent. Mm-hmm. You want it to be red or 20 percent or 25 percent, whatever you want. Uh, and then, you know, how you get your first warning when you're at 10 percent, John, on your uh uh, you know, when you get down mm-hmm. to 10%, it warns you, you can actually configure a second warning. So maybe you want your first warning to be at 15% and your second warning at five, mm-hmm. you can do that too. So it really cool stuff. Uh, and uh, yeah, I wish it were free, but I also uh, wish that they'd keep developing it. So I spent my 19 bucks. Yeah. 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 Nice. Well, you know, I got a bunch of computers to run it on. So that was the cheapest way. Mm-hmm. To do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't pay us to say that. Um you know, nope. so it is what it is. They could. I, uh, yeah, Maybe they will. Yeah, they could. We're kind of sold out on ads right now, <laughs> <laughs> but they could, you know, there's always, there's always room. Um, contact information. You know, it's uh it's Friday afternoon. So maybe we should let everybody go home early. What do you think, John? I mean, you know, we're at about the 50 minute mark, which if you go back to the beginning, yeah. when we started this Where's show, the band? Where's 40, the band? 45 minutes in and we're done, you know, Where's the band? But, uh, well, the band, you know, they were out taking five because they didn't expect to uh, have to work so soon. There they are. Because <laughs> I got, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm fixed. I, I got to hear the band if I'm going to talk about how you can get in touch with us, Dave. And one way you can get in touch with us is to call us on the telephone. And you would do that by picking up the telephone or oh, no. speaking into it. No. Or, or gesturing towards Say it, it and so. entering 206-666-GEEK, which is, Dave? 4335. Uh, you can uh, email us. And everyone here is a premium subscriber, of course. So you can email us at premium at macgeekgab.com. That's right. Premium at macgeekgab.com. Did you say premium at macgeekgab.com, John? No. Okay, good. (laughs) Uh, You can uh, Skype us to macgeekgab. And you can visit our great uh, show notes by our own John F. Braun at uh, macgeekgab.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, on Twitter, if you still use that thing, I don't know, I'm getting kind of sick of it myself. But, uh, I'm John F. Braun. Dave is Dave Hamilton. Mac Geek Gab is Mac Geek Gab. And general Mac Observer News is Mac Observer. There you go. Uh, all right. Michael Johnston from the This Week in iPhone podcast converts these to AAC for you. Uh, Cashfly hosting at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth to get the podcast from us to you. And uh, I, that's it. You know, we're uh, we're good to go. Let's uh, nice day. I'm gonna go hiking again. I think. Yeah, it's the light let's out. Let's do it. Yeah, that. All right. I was hiking, Dave. I saw some places where there were cameras, and you know what that means. Don't get caught. Get caught. Get Made up.